Hey, good morning, Joey. At first, so good to see you this morning. If you are new here, we want to thank you for joining us this morning. We, we realize that you could be doing a million other things with your time, watching TV, uh, watching good football, eating great food. Um, I don't know what you do in your spare time. Sail on your yacht if you have one. Uh, I don't, uh, but whatever you do, I realize you could be doing it. Um, but we're just thankful that you're here. Thank you for entrusting us with uh, a few minutes of your time. We're so thankful for that today. Uh, we're excited about a new series we're starting today called The Good and Beautiful God. The Good and Beautiful God. In fact, over the next year, some of you will be saying, where are we going the next year? Great question. So glad you're asking. Uh, the next year, we're going to talk about God, we're going to talk about life, and we're going to talk about community. We feel like one of the things that we need a little bit of work on as a church is spiritual formation and spiritual growth. As leaders and as followers, uh, we believe that spiritual growth is essential to who we are as God's people. And for some reason, we think that the moment we say yes to God, that is like the beginning and ending point for our lives. And the truth be told, there are a lot of us who have spent a lot of our lives trying to be Christian, but not really feeling like we are. And so we are going to look at God over the next eight weeks. Here's the reality. There are myths and there are untruths told about God, some taught by the church and some taught by culture. I mean, look at the hurricanes, right? Hurricanes coming through, natural disasters. You've probably been told at some point, either one, that's God's punishment on countries and certain cities for misbehaviors, total untruth, right? Or maybe that God's not present. Why would natural disasters or why would violence and hatred that ravages our country and even racism, where is God in the midst of us? In fact, you've heard people say, God isn't present. Some of you have heard this. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to redefine who God is and discover the good and beautiful God together. And it's going to be a great journey. And here's why it's going to be a great journey. Because it's not just about what you're going to be learning. It's going to be what you're doing with what you're learning. And so we'll talk more about that at the end. But would you pray for me this morning before we begin? Lord, we give thanks for this time. We give thanks for this opportunity to discover your word and how you would love to speak truth to us today. Pray that you'd be in this moment. Would you open our minds and our hearts to what you would have us here today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, many of you, uh, if you've been around me, you'll notice that I carry a little black book uh, that I bought on Amazon for $9.99. Uh, they paid me $100 to pitch that. Can you believe that? I don't know how many pitches I've done over the last few months, but I'm, I'm getting rich here. Totally lying. But anyway, I have this little black book from Amazon, and in the book, you'll find uh, notes that I have from our staff meetings, our board meetings, or if I meet with you one-on-one, -on -one, um, I'll write down some of the things that we talk about just so I can go back and, and, and remember. Um, I have quotes from conferences. I have ideas that when I'm driving, that's right, when I'm driving, I will pull out the book and write them down while I'm driving. No, it's not safe, but it's better than texting. Um, so I'll write ideas down, or maybe I feel like God is saying something to me uh, in, in my prayer time, and so I'll write those things down as well. It's kind of a collect-all. But if you were to open about a third of the way into, into this little journal, you would find a page that at the very top is entitled New Rhythms. New Rhythms. See, over the summer, I got into some really bad rhythms. Uh, I, I really want to get up early in the morning because I get, I get more done in the day by noon if I get up early than, than if I get up late in the day. I just, I'm no good after 12 o'clock. I mean, I'm functioning, but I'm not thinking. Uh, and so I like to get up early. But the problem in the summer is I was having trouble getting up early. And the reason I was having trouble getting up early is because I was staying up so late. 
And the reason why I was staying up so late is because I was watching Netflix. And the reason why I was watching Netflix is because I had coffee at 4 p.m. and I couldn't sleep. And the reason I had coffee at 4 p.m. is because I didn't have enough caffeine in the morning. Because I didn't get enough rest the night before. And it was this vicious cycle over and over and over. And every morning I say, I'm going to do it. And then I just sleep in. Now, sleeping in at our house is like 7 or 7.30. But anyway, I sleeping in. And I felt really guilty about it. And so I thought on our vacation, on our vacation, I'll write this thing, new rhythms. And on our vacation, I'll come up with a weekly schedule. I'll come up with a work schedule, a workout schedule, a diet plan. I'll set goals. I'll, I'll write all these things out because something needs to change in my life. Now, if you were to open up that book today, there are some profound things written down there. You ready for it? It says, new rhythms. And that's it. That's how much change uh, has changed in my life uh, from planning that out. In fact, here's what I know to be true today. Here's what's so frustrating about life. Everybody talks to us about how the only thing you can count on is change. But here's the question I've been wrestling with. If I can count on change in life, why can't I count on life change? If I can count on change in life, why can't I count on life change? Anybody, anybody resonate with what I'm saying this morning? Right? You've had experiences in your life where you've tried to change, but you can't change. Right? I mean, think about it. Eating is a big one for me because I love to eat sugar. I love to eat sugar. But if you're like me, right, you'll crash diet for two days and you think you're doing well, but by the third day, you are craving everything that you used to eat. And so by day three, you're shoving your face full of all the things that you vowed that you wouldn't eat. And two months later, you're still eating the same things that you said you wouldn't eat, and you're still unhealthy, and you have unhealthy habits. Finances, right? Maybe we get some extra money. It feels like we don't have enough money to go around at the end of the month. But maybe this month, you have just a little bit extra. But it's like, whenever you have extra money, right, there's that medical bill. Uh, the car breaks down. You still have the car payment. There's uh, another bill that comes in that was totally unexpected. And the money that you thought you were going to save is suddenly gone. And you continue to perpetuate this financial crisis over and over and over. Maybe you have an unhealthy relationship. Anybody here dating unhealthy people? Okay, that, don't raise your hand. That's a totally trick question. Anybody here dating unhealthy people? Right? You've experienced this. You have people in your life who are telling you, Stop dating this person. They aren't good. And yet you continue to date the same person because here's why. You would rather live in the comfort. You would rather live in the comfort and the fear of the fear of finding some, somebody better than actually finding somebody better. You would rather live in the fear of finding somebody better than actually finding somebody better. And so you want to change, but you just can't. You've experienced this. Whether you want to be more patient, whether you want to be a present parent, whether you uh, want to be a better student, whatever it is in your life, there's been a moment in your life where you've wanted to change, but you felt like you couldn't change the thing you needed to change. Now, for those of you who are on a spiritual quest for Jesus, I'm just guessing that there are some of you here, the moment that you said yes to Jesus, you were so excited, you were so passionate, and then you were saying, now what? And you've been saying, now what, for the last 
20-some years. Right? And you've wanted to grow deeper with God. You've wanted to experience more of God. Everybody promises you that you'll have this amazing life, but you're not really feeling it. Anybody there? Yeah. And you want this change for you. You want a spiritual growth in your life. You want change for you, but for some reason, you feel like it's not changing. Anybody feeling bad about themselves at this point? Okay. Let me make you feel better for just a second. See, we have been conditioned and we've been taught to say this one phrase. Now, before I tell you what the phrase is, here's what happens. When you fail to change, you feel, you feel powerless. When you fail to change, you feel weak. And when we feel weak, we feel like we are unworthy, not only in the human capacity to change our lives, but to make a huge difference in the world. You feel unworthy to make a difference in your life and a difference in the world. And so we'll say this. I just don't have the will power. I just don't have the will power. And what's so funny is we focus on the end of that word, power, and we think that we're weak and unworthy and we're unwilling to change. But the reality is, I want to ask you the question this morning. When did will actually have power? When did will actually have power? See, let me, let me enlighten you on something. Will is actually the capacity to choose. Let me give you an example. Will is only the capacity to chew. Will is like a horse being guided by a horse rider. I, I don't, what are they called? It's a question. What are they called? I can't even say it. Whatever. Um, <clears throat> but think about it this way. A horse does not guide. They're not on the, when somebody is riding them, right, you take a rein on the right side if you want to go left, and you pull their head that direction. Same if you want to go the other way. You have somebody, you have an outside influence that is influencing the horse. Your will is no different. So you keep saying you want to change, and you're confused as to why you can't change. But the problem is, is you're focusing on all the wrong things. In fact, there are three outside influencers that factor into change in your life that you haven't maybe considered. You're just, your will is just like that horse. The first one is your mind. When we have experiences in life... There are emotions that are created in your, in your heart and in your mind that you react from. You ever been upset with somebody? Right? They did something to you. They upset you. And immediately, your mind said, this is, this is not good. And, and you respond out of that. Physically, your body tells you that you are thirsty or hungry. And so your body responds, not based upon the willpower or the will, but based upon the need. And so your will makes that choice to go get that food, to go get that water, to go to the doctor when we have an ailment that's just like totally bothering us. The third one is this, is social context. Social context. You have the mind, you have the body, you have social context. See, we don't ever factor this in. We talk about not giving in to peer pressure, yet peer pressure is what we constantly give in to. And you may not think that they're peers, but even environments like your home or the kitchen that you have around you or the TV that's so massive that's sitting in front of you or even just some friends that really aren't good friends, these are social factors that affect and influence the changes in your life. Everybody making sense so far? So here's the question that I know you're asking me at this point. Brad, how do I change those influences? How do I change my mind? How do I change my body? And how do I change my social context? You guys are asking great questions this morning. So before we can move forward, before we can answer that question, we actually have to look back. 
we, before we can move forward, we actually have to look back. And today we're going to look at a story written by a man named John who just so happened to journey with this guy named Jesus. Now, I get it. Maybe some of you aren't followers of Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus. Totally cool. Totally okay. But let me just say this. Don't, don't diminish the power and wisdom of this story that John's about to tell. Don't diminish the power and wisdom of this story that John is about to tell us. Because John walked with Jesus. He had inside conversations, inside conversations that other gospel people who write accounts of Jesus' life don't have. And so he tells us something about where to start this morning. He tells us something about where to start. So we're going to look at John 1, 35 and through 38. And here's what he says. Here's what John tells us in the story. He says, the next day, John was again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you want? Now, we're going to stop here for just a second. Think about their perspective. These are people that are now following Jesus. This is life change for, for them. I mean, they're leaving their jobs. They're leaving their businesses. They're leaving their families to follow a guy who's really a kook. I mean, really, that when you, when, you, when you narrow it down, when you look at it from the outside, Jesus is absolutely nuts and crazy. But people follow him. It's no, it, what I find funny is, is we, we crack a screen on our phone or our computer dies or... We can't reboot it, and we think life is over. Like, that's huge life change for us, right, when something like that happens, because most of our lives are on our devices. Now, imagine not being able to reboot, not being able to import your contacts, not being able to restore everything that you once had on your computer. You were just starting fresh. Some of you literally would keel over and die. But imagine leaving your house, your jobs, your families, and you start following this guy. And immediately when you follow him and the disciples follow him, Jesus turns around and says to them, what do you want? You know what I want? For somebody to actually ask me that question. (laughs) That was really funny. That was really good. You were supposed to laugh there. Good joke. What do you want? Has anybody ever asked you that question, what do you want? Everybody always tells me what they want, but nobody ever asked me what I want. So so let me tell you today, now that I have the mic, what I want. I would love for my wife to not be broken anymore. (laughs) I'm learning this week all the things that she does, and I just am not cutting it very well. And so uh, I would like for her to get better. I would love for there to be no hurricanes and natural disasters. I would love for there not to be racist people in the world. I would love to have a church that is growing by the hundreds where hurt people are finding God and being restored, but just like they don't come with any problems and baggage. Like that would be the ideal church, right? No problems, no issues. You need hope. You found it. Great. We don't need to help any other way. You know, that would be awesome. Uh, it would be the perfect church. By the way, those don't exist. Don't let anybody fool you. Uh, you know, often I'd say money and just enough to get by. Let's just be honest. We'd all have to we'd just love to have lots of money, right? Wouldn't it be fun to just be able to just dish it out to people and keep as much as you like and spend as much as you like? I would want more money, just being honest. So my question this, to you this morning is what do you want? Which Jesus is actually 
asking a deeper question this morning. He is asking, what are you seeking? Yeah, that's, that's the point where you write this down. What are you seeking? And the reason why that's an important question, you're asking yourself, why has there never been true transformation in my life? Why have I never experienced life change? It's because you don't know where to start. And the reason why you don't know where to start is because you don't know what you're seeking. The reason why you're confused as to where to start is because you don't know what you're seeking. You have to define what you want. So this morning, I want you to understand this, that true change, the starting point for change, begins by defining what we're seeking. The starting point for change begins by defining what you are seeking. I like that. I like that. And if you need some other prompters, think about this. What are the things that you're passionate about in life? What are the things that when you look out at the world around you, they break your heart? What is, are the injustices of the world where you look at it and you say, this, this isn't good. Something needs to change here. Uh, there's a Japanese word called akigai. Akigai, say that with me. Akigai, it's a fun word. That actually means like when you wake up in the morning and you just want to do this particular thing or it comes natural to you, that's what your akigai is. Some of you are good at word, woodworking. Like it's the thing that regardless of money or job or whatever it is, like that's the thing you wish you could do the rest of your life. It's called akigai. What is it that you're seeking? Maybe it's your Akiga. I don't know. But we have to define what we are seeking because this is the starting point. This is what Jesus wants us to understand this morning. Now, Jesus asks a great question. He says to those who just started following him, what are you seeking? And they have a beautiful, beautiful response. Now, what's funny about this whole response, it is genius. It may not appear to be genius up front, but it is absolutely genius. And what I love about this response is oftentimes we give Jesus' followers a hard time because they were pretty dense people. They weren't religious. They didn't have seminary degrees. I mean, these were blue-collar fishermen, fisherwomen, whatever they were. They just weren't educated. And so often in the Gospels, often in Jesus' life, we see that the people that are following him are very dense. And they never get it. In fact, they often say, Jesus, what did you mean by that? And he basically says, how could you be so stupid? I mean, he doesn't say that, but he just says, how could you be so dense? You know, Jesus, I think, could be a little more patient at times, even though he is Jesus. Anyway, here's the question the disciples and followers ask that I love. Jesus says, what is it that you want? And they say this, where are you staying? What? Like, you see that question and you, you begin to ask, what? That doesn't seem very profound, Brad. Why would you say that's profound? Well, here's the thing. We could analyze every word. In fact, when we read scripture at times, as a pastor, that's what we do. We pick apart words. We look at words. We look at the original meaning. We look at the original context. It's kind of like when I visited Mexico City. When you're in Mexico City, you can evaluate skyscrapers and buildings, and you're right there, and you're in the thick of it. But sometimes we have to look at scripture from a 30,000 foot view, right? To really understand and get the heartbeat of what's going on, maybe you need a 30,000 foot view. And so maybe today that's what we need to do with the scripture. It's not so much about the words, but it's actually, it's actually one of the most profound statements because it is a question. By the way, I think that's the greatest way to lead. That's the greatest way to have a conversation. If you want to know how to lead somebody, if you want to know how to talk to somebody, just ask a question. Just ask a question. 
But the disciples asked a question. And you're saying, why is that so important? Because Jesus asked them a direct question, and they give him an indirect answer. Jesus asked them a direct question, and they give him an indirect answer. And what is so amazing about that is that when they give an indirect answer to a direct question, a new direction is given. Do you hear that? Their indirect answer to a direct question gives a new direction. So here's what I want you to know today. Wow, we're already to that point. Can you believe that? We must work at the indirect to be direct about changing our lives. That's what I want you to know. We must work at the indirect to be direct about changing our lives. That's the whole point of the disciples' question. They give an indirect answer to a direct question. And this is the insight that we need in life for change. We must work at the indirect to be direct about changing our lives. In fact, if you can't write all that down, here's we'll just say this. That indirection gives direction. That indirection gives direction. Look at your partner and say that. Indirection gives direction. I'm not hearing you. Indirection gives direction. I like that. So we said this. You have to define what you want in life. You have to define what you are seeking. Really, you should write that question down and throughout this week begin to answer, what is it that I truly want in life? And then once you get to that point, you have to work indirectly. Indirect, you have to work indirectly on some direct things to change your life. And you're saying, what? Do you remember at the beginning that we talked about those outside influences? Your mind, your body, and social context. Right? These were the indirect influencers that change and shape your life. And so this morning, we're going to talk about these three things. These three things. So the first thing that we have to do, the first thing that we have to work on indirectly is changing our narratives. Changing our narratives. Now, they may not, they, that may not seem like a profound thought, but here, here's what I need you to understand. We are people, we are people that are shaped by stories. We live out of a storied narrative. We live our lives based upon stories. In fact, a lot of you think you're movie stars. You, you look at your life, when you experience your life, somehow you envision it within a, a frame of a movie. And it's fun because we love to tell our own stories. We love to tell people our stories. So whether you're bitter, whether you're full of hate, whether you love, whether you're correcting, whether you're directing, whether you're leading, whether you're following, whatever you are doing in life, you are living out of a story. You are living out of a narrative. And there are, there are, there are narratives in your life that are literally running and ruining your life. There are narratives that are running and ruining your life. Here's what I know. We have family narratives, right? Some of us grew up in amazing, amazing families. And we have experienced love from parents. We've experienced love from parents that have really shaped our, our lives in such a way that we know what it's like to be loved. But I'm also not naive. And I also know that some of you here today have not had a great experience with your parents, if you've had parents at all. See, the narrative that shapes your life is, I was all alone. I didn't have enough food. I was always hungry. They were never present. And you are filled with bitterness toward your parents and you're filled with hatred toward your parents or lack of parents. And you're frustrated by that. And so you live out of that narrative. In fact, maybe your parenting is now reflecting what you've been taught by your own parents. And it's a bad narrative. We have cultural narratives. Write that down. Cultural narratives that shape our lives. See, we've been taught in America that we have to pull ourselves up by our 
bootstraps and we have to work hard and we have to work independently and we don't need anybody else and we can do everything on our own. And that's kind of a, a, a narrative that we tend to live out of. Now, I may lose you on some of this one, but one of the narratives we need to live through is Jesus' narratives. See, here's what I love about Jesus, and this is why Jesus is so important to me, is that if we want to understand who God is, we have, to, we have to see the God that Jesus revealed. If we want to know who God is, we have to look at the God Jesus reveals. And when he shows up on the scene, he begins to flip the script on the way life is supposed to happen. You, be, you, you want your life to be changed? You, you want to have a different understanding of the way the world works? I promise you, the moment you begin to look at the words of Jesus and you begin to live out of the words of Jesus, you allow his narratives to shape your life, you will be changed. You will be changed. So, the first indirect influencer is changing our narratives. Changing our narratives is the first part. The second one is soul training exercises. I like this. In fact, we'll give you a soul training exercise before you leave. Again, if you're not following Jesus, totally cool. The, the, the practice that we're going to give to you at the end of this message will change you, I promise. It will make you a healthier and better person. But you're saying, why do we need to do soul training? Why do we need new practices? See, your mind, your thinking, your narratives is just a small part. But your body, I don't know if you've noticed, your body houses the soul and it makes up a good component of who you are. See, when, 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 you, are, when you are tired, when you are, when you are exhausted, you are not the best you. And so we want to enter into practices that mold and shape our bodies that will eventually help our minds become better minds. These practices, I promise, will change your life in such a way that you'll begin to experience God. And the reason why we call them soul training practices is because I don't, I don't, I don't really like the word spiritual. But what does that mean anyway? Like, that was a very spiritual moment, or they want to be more spiritual. If we take soul training exercises, and we attempt to make them spiritual, what we get is a legalism. See, rather than working out of wisdom, rather than getting wisdom in your life, you're now working out of righteousness. You want to be more righteous, and what righteousness is all about is making sure that you're worthy enough for God. That if I just do enough work, maybe I'll be worthy enough for God. So these soul practices are not making, about making you spiritual, they're about making you a healthy being and a healthy person in Christ. And so the third one is this. The third one is this, engaging communities. Engaging communities. So social context, remember this? We've spent literally four weeks talking about the importance of small groups at our church. In fact, they start this week. And if you're not in one, you really should be in one. But engaging communities, we think that spiritual formation, we think that life change, we think that soul training, whenever we talk about our relationship with God, or our experiences with God, where do those usually happen? Alone. Alone at home. Alone on the way to work. True transformation in your life will only happen when you are engaged in communities. You see, when you experience problems in your life, when you experience struggles in your life, here's what I know. You begin to pull back. You begin to pull back because you have been told all your life that you need to protect yourself. And you need to pull away from those people, the people that actually care about you. Because somehow you can manage, you can manage that conflict on your own. But let me just tell you, you're making yourself completely unhealthy. 
And if you think that the exercises that we're going to ask you to do, you can do on your own without accountability, you're, you're wrong. You won't do them. And so part of the things that we'll be doing in small groups is you'll be actively engaged about talking, talking about the very things that we've asked you to do in your small groups. So change our narratives. Change our narratives. Social context, right? Engaging communities and soul training exercises. The mind, the heart, or excuse me, the body and the social context. Those three things. Now, you're asking, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? This is the big one. I love that in the narrative, after Jesus says, uh, after the, Jesus asks them, what are you seeking? And they say, where are you staying? And that whole thing gets worked out. Jesus says this, come and see. Come and you'll see. Can I just say this? Maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you're asking, I'm not sure about this whole God thing. I don't really like church or I'm just here because somebody brought me here or somebody talked me into it or somebody made me come here. I'm not really sure about it. Let me just say this. When Jesus says, come and see, he's not forcing this upon you. He's just saying, I want you to come and see a life. I want you to taste an experience that's so amazing and so unbelievable that you won't even be able to turn around. You won't want to turn around. So I would beg you, maybe your first step is saying, you know what, today I will follow for the first time. Today I'm going to follow for the first time. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not sure I understand the whole, whole thing. But when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to following Jesus, I promise you, not only will your life change, but your friends, your habits, the way you treat people, the way you see your work, the way you see your home life, everything about you will be made new. So I need you to come and see. The discipline that we're going to work on this week is the discipline of sleep. Huh? What? We talk about what are you seeking? We're talking about change. And now you're telling us what? The discipline of what? Sleep? Think about this. The body is re requires nearly eight hours of sleep. God has intended you to sleep nearly a third of your life. In fact, God mirrors this when he creates. At the end, he rests. And here's what I know about you and what I know about me. A lot of us are drinking too much coffee, we're watching too much Netflix, we're going to bed really late, and then we don't want to get up, and we feel horrible the next day. So, like I told you, whether you're following Jesus or not, this is a simple practice. And here's why it's an important practice. The discipline of sleep is an act of trust. Sleep is an act of surrender. You see, transformation requires our action and God's action. But you can't make yourself fall asleep. You can't force yourself to close your eyes and just conk out. No, no, no. See, it requires, it requires, sleep requires surrender. It requires trust that God, that God will give you the rest that you need. Because you need it. So here's what I want you to do. Over the next week, I want you to choose three days. You can write them in your calendar. You can write them on your forehead. Put them on your hand. Write them on your spouse's face. I don't care where you put it. But what I want you to do is write down that for three days, I will sleep seven to eight hours a day. For three days, I want, I want you to try that. And you're saying, what? And some of you are laughing at me, but come on, you just need to go to bed earlier. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. Speaking truth, here we are. 
go to bed earlier. And you know what? Social influences, right? Outside factors. I get it. We have kids. We have people that bother us and bug us. And I don't care. Put your kids to bed earlier. You know what? Maybe they need a new practice. Maybe they need a new rhythm. I can tell you, your kids probably should be in bed early as well. Because it's, it's good for your sanity. <laughs> That's when break time begins. But you need to do whatever you can do in the next week to get seven to eight hours of sleep, at least three days. Now, some of you are saying, I can't do that. Well, let me just ask you to do this. I want you to pick one day this week, one day this week. Talk to whoever it is you need to talk to to say, I will sleep as long as I can sleep. And when I wake up, I will wake up when I'm rested. I won't set an alarm clock. I, will, I just lock the doors. I don't care if the kids are screaming or they're dying outside. I'm sleeping in. But I need, you to make, I need you to make arrangements this week for at least one day for you to say, I'm going to sleep in as long as I can and get the rest that I need. And you're saying, why is that so important? We've already said it. Because your body makes up a huge part of who you are. And if you are not rested, if you are not rested, you won't be alive. In fact, you won't be able to make the changes that you need to make in your life. So it's a good story, right? This is good for us. It was good for me. You know what? My blank page actually became, uh, 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 there was some change in the last few weeks. So I changed my social context. I got a workout partner who wakes me up, doesn't wake me up. I just know he's going to be there. We're there at 5 a.m. at the gym every day. I don't like it. I hate it. And it's miserable. But you know what's interesting? The moment I started getting up, going to bed earlier, so I stopped watching Netflix, except on weekends, because it's always good. I found that when I get up at 5, I'm exhausted by 2 in the afternoon. And if I don't drink coffee by 2 in the afternoon, then, like, I'm asleep on the couch at 6, right? Janelle will tell you, I can't stay awake for anything. But I'm in bed. I'm in bed not too long after my kids go to bed, because I know tomorrow's coming. And what I have found, what I have found is over... Over the, the last three weeks, as I have changed this rhythm of sleep, I have found myself more productive. I was able to get more done in a day and a half than I have in entire weeks at a time because I was eating unhealthy and I wasn't getting enough rest. But when your body feels, feels amazing, you're going to get a lot done. And you're going to be the best person that you can be. And not only that, but I think you will find you'll have time for God and you'll experience him in ways will truly change your life. So, I need you to follow. I need you to sleep. And lastly, I need you to be part of a group. Right? If you're not part of a small group, you're not going to thrive. If you're not part of a small group, you're not going to thrive. Because what we're doing, what we're doing in here is spiritual practices. This is soul training. And you need people to keep you accountable. In fact, part of what our small groups will be doing tonight is you will have journals throughout the week where you will begin to write down and you will talk about the nights that you've received rest, how it made you feel, what you were able to do the next day, and maybe talk about what you have experienced through God by that very rest. And the next week when we come back, that'll be one of the first questions we ask. How did it go for you last week? Hey, share your experience last week of what happened when you went to sleep three nights and got seven to eight hours of sleep. What happened when you slept in for till whenever you woke up? So I need you to be engaged in community. If you're not engaged in community, 
You're going to be isolated. You're going to be alone. And you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow the way God designed you to grow. So everybody excited about week one? I am. Hey, you tell me to sleep. Some of you don't have a problem with sleeping. Some of you don't. You just, you've got this perfected. So you're like, hey, can we get to week two? Uh, speaking of week two, we're looking forward to next week. Uh, some of you believe that God is bad. We actually believe that he is good. And we sang a song, God is good. And so next week we'll be talking about God is good. We would ask to invite a friend. Would you bring a friend with us next week? We're looking forward to it. Well, this morning, one of the things we do as a response to God's message to us as his challenge to us is we come forward and we receive, we receive the goodness that this table provides. We believe that Christ died for our sins. We believe that he was resurrected from the dead. What a crazy, crazy story. People witnessed it. People saw it. And whew, we believe that that, that very uh, uh, act in history has changed our lives. And we believe that to be true this morning as you come and receive the body and blood of Christ. If those serve in communion, would you come forward this morning? Lord, we give thanks for this moment where you meet us. This is a beautiful table and all of your people are called to be gathered around it. So we pray in this moment that as we come forward and we receive your body, we receive the cup, the cup that you have given us, that your love and your grace would be experienced in my blood. This is where it all happens. In fact, maybe today somebody has decided to follow for the first time. May this act right here, may the step forward down the aisle be a signpost of what you're doing. Lord, we would pray that you continue to change lives, that you would be in, in, in the lives of those who are struggling, who are frustrated, who are bitter, who are angry, who have lots of questions, who doubt you, who doubt that you exist, who doubt that you have a good plan for them. And I pray that you would speak to them this morning. You would speak to them throughout this week as they gain rest. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name.